Father, we're so thankful that you um, not only uh, shine the sun on us and warm us, but you shine your face on us and help us, Father, that we may um, be a reflection of that light in our society today. As we talk about Adventist education, we ask your blessing on our teachers, on our families, on our schools. May they continue to be... um, a lighthouse for you in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Again, the only way, the way this is going to work the best is if you ask questions. There's no way I'm going to get through my presentation anyhow. So you might just as well ask as many questions and let's talk about some of the issues because that's what's really most helpful if, if you say, well, what about, and how does that work, and what are we doing about that, then we can talk about those issues. Getting through the slide presentation is, is not the most important. Um, I can do the last slides in 31 seconds if we have to. All right? North American Vision spends $25 million in Adventist education. Is that a lot of money? South Pacific Division spends $120 million. We have 60,000 students. They have 13,000 students. And so they spend three times as much, four, almost five times as much, on Adventist education as we spend in the North American Division. Um, part of that is because of the tithe distribution. We pay 8% of our tithe to the General Conference. They pay 2% of their tithe to the General Conference. So they have a lot more money left um, that they can use for um, things like Adventist education. But $25 million, why in the world do we spend, as a church, that's the largest part of of the North American Division budget. That's the largest piece of the pie. Why do we do that? Adventist education is evangelism. Adventist education is evangelism. Adventist education is evangelism. So lots of people say to me all the time, why can't we take some of the evangelism money and use it to support Adventist education because we're pricing ourselves out of the market and we need more money in Adventist education, right? Adventist education, how much do we spend? And that's just K-12. So we spend $25 million on K-12, how much do you think we spend? Yes. Well, how many schools is that supporting? I mean, because it sounds like a big number, but when you break it down, it's probably not as big as it sounds. That's right. So that $25 million is really what goes back to conferences for subsidies. So we, we split that between the 56 conferences, and they use that for um, about 1,000 schools. So that $25 million is split 56 ways, um, depending on the size of the conference. And that's what's used um, to pay the conference. And, the subs- and then the conference puts more money in. Tomorrow we'll talk about how much money do you think? Yeah. Um, no, tomorrow we're going to talk a lot about that per pupil. And I'll break it down and have it ready for tomorrow. Um, um, I was going somewhere here. Um, so we have we spend that twenty five million just on K twelve. How much money do you think the division spends on evangelism? All the evangelistic series that we spend from the division. How much do you think we spend? Probably a million. No, no, we spend twenty five million on Adventist education. How much? And I, it's going to be less than that. I already said that, right? right. How much do you think we spend? $13 million. So we spend twice as much on Adventist education as we spend on evangelism. So should we take money out of evangelism to support Adventist education? I don't think so. Number one, we need both. Evangelism is first generational, right? You don't go out and evangelize a church member. Um, so evangelism is first generation if you want a strong second and third generation research and we'll look at that today tells you that 
Adventist education is the best way to get a strong second and third generation. So, we spend $25 million. Why do we do that? Is it so that we have a, a strong academic environment for our kids? Is that why we spend $25 million? It's, it's, it's a, is it important? Yes. Absolutely. But that's not why we do it. Do we do it so we have a safe environment for our kids? Is that why we do it? Safe environment's important, but that's not why we do it. Do we do it so that our kids know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Is that why we spend $25 million? No, it's not why we spend $25 million, because we could send them to a Baptist school and they'd know Jesus. We could send them to a Catholic school and they'd know Jesus. But they come out the other end, a Baptist or a Catholic, right? The reason we spend $25 million is to have a strong academic environment where our kids are safe spiritually, socially, you know, emotionally, physically, where our kids have a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus Christ where they know that he loves them and cares for them and his grace is sufficient for them in the context of the Adventist church. And if you leave that last piece off, we have no right to exist because we can send them to a Baptist school and they can get the first three. We can send them to a, a Lutheran school and they can get the first three in a Lutheran school. So the only reason that we have the right to exist as a system is that we have all four pieces, and we have to be distinctly Adventist. Um, I, for the last 10 years, I've been the president of an international accrediting agency and now work for them part-time in retirement. Um, 18 organizations, Catholic, Baptist, Jewish, Islamic, um, Montessori, Quaker, Friends, all the different independent schools, all the different organizations, 18 organizations. I am really good friends with all of those, um, the heads of all those school systems, and the Dan Jacksons, the presidents of all of those associate, you know, um, Richard from Wisconsin Lutheran Synod of Lutherans. Very good friends, and we, have a, we talk a lot. So I understand other systems other than just the Adventist system. Um, do you know that that organization sees the Adventist system as the, the, the system to emulate? They, they want to be like us. I'm asked all the time. I've spoken to Assemblies of God and Church of Christ and Catholic and Baptist and Lutheran. They asked me to come and speak in their teachers' conventions. How can we be more like an Adventist system? But yet we, we, the church, parents say, I want something better for my kids than Adventist education. And they send them off to non-denominational and to charter schools and to public schools for education. Um, we'll talk more about that as we get going. Ellen White said that our most important matter in education should be the conversion of students. It's that fourth piece that we connect them to the church, um, not just general Christian. If you look at, at Pew Research and, and uh, Barna Research, and you look at cognitive uh, value genesis, our kids are getting more and more spiritual. They say they're reading their Bible more, they're praying more, they're having more personal Bible study, that they believe Jesus Christ is real in their life, but they're getting less and less denominational. They could care less about um, going to a particular church or having membership in a particular church. They're more interested in being general Christians. And we in the church... Um, have to fight that battle. Conversion of students means baptism, right? That's really what it means. Our 
In our church, are you baptized into the church or are you baptized into Christ? See, I have a, I have a thought on that. I think we ought to always be baptized into Christ. And after that conversion experience, then we join a church in order to have a fellowship of, of like believers. But we have to make sure that we're baptized into Christ and not baptized into the membership of an organization. Right? That's a, that's a membership transfer, a membership organization, not baptism into the church. And too many young people, when they get ready to be baptized, they get beat with 28 fundamental beliefs, and I'm not downing 28 fundamental beliefs. Unless we have those, we are no longer a church. And I'm going to talk pretty pointedly today about some of those fundamental beliefs. Um, I, had a, I had a friend in California that called me, and he says, I've got, a, I've got a man that was just left my office. He's a pastor. And he said he's 80, 80 years old and just showed up and asked me to baptize him. And I says, well, you know, where's this coming from? What's going on? Um, and the man said, well, I told him his life story. I was born in a certain state. It happened to be this one, but I won't tell you which one. And... Um, he says, I went to elementary school, and I went to an academy, I went to college, and I graduated, and I got a really good job in New York City, and kind of left the church behind me, and I've spent the last number of years making money, and, and I'm at the end of my life, and I, just, I, I looked back over my life, what was really important and what I did, and I recognized that I needed to be uh, baptized into the church, that that's really where my real calling is in life. And so the pastor said, well, is this a rebaptism? Have you, you know, were you baptized in academy or college and then left the church? And he says, no, I've never been baptized. So the pastor says, well, tell me why, you know, were you resistant? He says, no. The reason I was never baptized is nobody ever asked me to be baptized. We went through 16 years, 17 years of Adventist education, and nobody asked him to give his life to Jesus Christ. That is the biggest indictment against our system that I have ever heard. We have to be about conversion and baptism and, and bringing people to Christ and then helping them to find a fellowship in which to worship so that they can strengthen the faith that they have in Jesus. That's really what we're about. And that's not only what we're about as an educational system, that's the mission of who we are as a church, right? That's what the local congregation ought to be about. Bringing people to Christ and then connecting them to a, um, a family to, uh, to strengthen that uh, relationship. So we're going to talk about um, accessions. What does accessions mean? Joining the church. All right? So we're going to talk about joining the church. Um, in Adventist education worldwide, we baptize about 40,000 members, 40,000 children, young adults, a year. How many members in the Michigan Conference? 20-some thousand? 23? So we baptize two Michigan Conference memberships a year in Adventist education. Twice the membership of the Michigan Conference every year in Adventist education. So we've had almost a half a million um, baptisms in the last 10 years. And um, that's the same as adding a large conference, like a Washington or Oregon or Georgia or Florida conference every year that we add um, to the church. I think there are three entities that really are the core, particularly for young people, of faith development. Um, Adventist education, summer camps, and pathfinders. Those three 
are the core, and we get more than a third of the baptisms in the North American Division from those three entities. So let me explain um, this chart. Because we're going to have lots of charts like this, and this part's going to change. This is the what we're talking about. This is baptized. But we're going to talk about lots of other issues, but they're all going to be in the context of no Adventist education. The student didn't go to Adventist education at all. One to ten years of Adventist education, and 11 plus years. They went all the way through Adventist education. And so we're going to look to see if there's a statistical difference on a number of factors with that as our, um, as our bottom line. All right. So we're going to look at those, uh, a number of them. For instance, here we're talking about baptized and un not baptized. If students did not go to Adventist education, by the time they get to 18, 60% of them were baptized. I think that's a great number. Why is that a great number? That means somebody is connecting with that kid. Their parents, a pastor, a Sabbath school teacher, a Pathfinder director, somebody is connecting to that kid. 60% of them are giving their life to, to Christ and, and are baptized by the time that they're 18. Yes, this would include homeschooling. Okay? Because um, homeschooling is not part of the official system of education. We'll talk about homeschooling here in a little while. Well, look what happens if you give them up to 10 years of Adventist education. And then, if they have 12 years of Adventist education, 97% of them are baptized. Now, there's 3% that are never baptized. How much of our system do you think are um, non-Adventist students in Adventist schools? To begin with. Yeah, that's right, a lot more than 3%. Um, so, to say that only 3%, who, and almost half, in some schools are 100% non-Adventist. 100%. Um, yet, most of those come through our system or are baptized. This is North American Division. Okay? So let's look at another one. So now we're going to talk about um, join the church or not join the church. 61%, um, this is after they're baptized, three years after they're baptized, whether they're still um, in the church, joining the church, going to a local congregation. 61%, 95%, and 99.1% are still in the church. We're going to put this presentation up on the web so that you can have it. Um, but you're welcome to take pictures. I'm not, but it will be up on the on the web. CatholicEducation.org. No, that's not true. Um, so now we're going to talk about another um, measure. So what we said is we took those students that were never baptized as a group, and we found out how many years they've been in Adventist education, and then we talked to the group that are baptized, and we found out how many years they had of Adventist education. And you can see that it's four times greater. So they had 2.4 years of Adventist education in an un unbaptized group, and 8.06 in the baptized group. It's just another way to show Adventist education makes a difference in kids. So what's our mission? The work of education and the work of redemption are one. All right, so now we're going to talk about retention. We talked about how many we bring into the church. Now we're going to talk about how many of those leave the church. We don't want to talk about that, do we? 
But it's a reality, isn't it? It's a reality. Um, so we're talking members of, huh, in the last, since 1965, give me a number of you thinking the number of people we've baptized into the Adventist church. Worldwide. 35 million people. We've baptized 35 million people. You may have any idea what our worldwide membership is today? It is 21 million people. We have, of that 35 million, we have 21 million in the church. That means that we have lost, out of the church, 13.7 million people. Now, don't look at those as statistics. Think about 13 million souls that are no longer attending church. This is worldwide. I must admit that I'm a little bit skeptical of the numbers. I have spent a lot of time in Africa, in Asia, in the Philippines, um, South America, and if you go to Africa and a white preacher comes, not a racial statement, it's reality, a white preacher comes and asks in a village, do you want to give your heart to Jesus? They're always going to say yes. And they're going to be baptized because they want to honor and they are taught to, to follow um, leaders. In African nations, it's a deadly thing to say no to a leader, whatever that leader is. Maybe a, a leader in your, in your country, and they tell you to do something, you don't do it, well, you do that once. Um, you don't have an opportunity to do it a second time. So they're baptized. They'll baptize 4,000 people, right? You've heard about those stories. Adventists leave town, the Baptist come into town a few weeks later, and the Baptist preacher says, do you want to be baptized? Same person, do you want to be baptized? They say, of course I do. And so they're now baptized into the Baptist church. And if you come back three years or five years or six years later, and you have another series in that area, and you ask if they want to be baptized, they're going to say yes. And you'll baptize the same 6,000 people um, over and over again. And we know that happens. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing in some ways, but how do you stop it? Do you say, no, we baptized you last time. You can't, you know, you're out of here. You can't do that because you don't know what's going on inside, whether it was a true conversion this time or not a true conversion. So you baptize them again. I think the real tragedy is in us publicizing those numbers and celebrating that we baptize 6,000 people. Every time we go to um, Zimbabwe and have a series, we baptize 6,000 people, and then we kind of beat our, beat our chests a little bit about how great of evangelists we are. So I think we need to be careful about those numbers. Um, I've been there. I've seen it. Uh, I've been part of those evangelistic series. Um, multiple times and seeing the same people. I knew them by name when I showed up. When I came into the when I came into the 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 hall six years later, I knew some of the people. Oh man, I saw you last time and I saw you last time. And then I saw them get up and be baptized the second time. I've seen it happen. All right. I think there's a deeper reason but I do think that short-term mission trips um, are, I'm telling my opinion, you can kick me out. I'm retired, so you can't fire me. I believe short-term mission trips sometimes are for us more than it is for them. And that we get more out of it than we give to the local community. 
Now, we might build them a building, which is something that lasts. We may have a, a vacation Bible school. But how often do we actually get to know those people um, on a personal level to a point in which we are connecting to them and connecting them personally to Jesus? We're doing a lot of corporate things up front, and it's just a short time. And we don't have enough time to actually get below the surface into the real issues that they have to deal with to bring them back up out of that, um, to root them into, into a relationship, discipleship um, to Christ. Now, I'm not, I'm not downing mission trips. Don't get me wrong. Short-term mission trips, because it's important for us too, for our children to understand that there's a world out there bigger than them. But... Um, and, and we have many, many baptisms in the Adventist church of people that are on mission trips that get baptized because they have that deep root system that they can fall back on here um, in the States. that makes sense? Please don't say that I'm against short-term mission trips. There's a, there's a term that, that I really believe in and Hope for Humanity, are you familiar with Hope for Humanity? It's the old in-gathering program. Hope for Humanity, um, when we go on mission trips with Hope for Humanity, we don't build any buildings. We don't preach any sermons. I mean, I do, but it's not an evangelistic effort. It's what's called appreciative inquiry. And the whole point... I have sat in, in probably 500 individuals' homes who are dying of AIDS. And I've sat in their home, and I've sat next to their bed and held their hand and said, tell me your story. You know, tell me your story. What's going on in your life? And let them just tell me what's happening. And pray with them and talk to them. Um, many of them die within a week. I've been on, in homes in which they're outside in the yard digging the grave as I'm talking to this person in their home. Um, appreciative inquiry, I think, is a biblical model for us to use in mission trips. That doesn't discount going and building a school because that's important. That's, that's giving something to the community. But I think in part of those short-term mission trips, we ought to do appreciative inquiry in which we actually talk to people one-on-one -on -one and find out about their life and find out what it's like to live in that, in that community, find out what they're struggling with, and to pray with them. So, you got my whole spiel. All right. So we've lost 13.7 million members. That's a net loss of 40%. That means that for every um, five or every 10 people that come into the church, four of them are walking out the back door. It's a worldwide statistic. Is that a good number or a bad number? Could be better. We're probably on the top end of most denominations, that we lose less than most denominations. We have, a, we have more of a... Now, I will say, I live in Boise, Idaho. 80% of my community is Mormon. That's a different community, a different faith walk than we have even in our church. They keep 90% of their, of their young people in the church. It's, it's all of it. It's requesting their being, they're lost. Nobody knows where they are. And it's um, death in, a set in, in that part of it as well. Um, it's both in this one. We'll talk about North America in a few minutes um, and, and see where North America is. But this is worldwide. In the last 12 years, so that was from 19... That was in the last, um, since 1965, 
This is in the last 12 years, we have a 43% loss rate. It's going up worldwide. So we did a landmark youth retention study. We'll talk about this a number of times today, um, in which we went out and found 1,500 baptized 15 and 16-year-olds. They represented large churches, small churches, small towns, big cities, public schools, Adventist schools, um, um, home schools, ethnic, every ethnic group, etc. So this was a broad, statistically significant uh, study. Uh, Roger Dudley did this out of Andrews. And um, what we did is we called all 1,500 of these every year for the next 10 years. If Doug started the study, we would call Doug the next year and the next year and the next year and then for 10 years and say, Doug, what's going on? Um, and we'd give them a, a short survey. Are you attending church? Do you pay tithe? Um, um, do you have a faith relationship? Or do you have private studies, uh, personal devotionals? Um, are you actively involved? Are you, are you doing something in your local church? All those kinds of questions for 10 years. That's a huge study, 1,500 people over 10 years. How many of those people do you think, of those young people, 15 and 16-year-olds, um, stayed in the church when we're contacting them every 10 years, or every year for 10 years, how many of them stayed in the church? North America. What was our, assess our, our, our loss rate? We lost half of them. Half of the students that started left the church in 10 years. Half. We're going to be asked, where is the flock that was entrusted to you, your beautiful flock? So we're going to look at seven studies, um, multi retention, uh, what happened to our kids over, uh, over time. Value Genesis. Um, I've been part of Value Genesis now for 30 years, and we do our next Genesis, uh, Value Genesis study in 2020, so that would be 40 years of study on faith development of Adventist young people. What is their faith like? Um, and we found out that in this study, we found out that the more years of Adventist schooling, the more years, so if you have five years, it's here. If they have 10 years, it's here. If they have 12 years, it's here. The more years, and this is K-12, the more years of Adventist, the greater the person's denominational loyalty, their Adventist orthodoxy, and their intention to remain an Adventist at age 40. The more years of Adventist education, the stronger the denominational loyalty. We said when we started, today's millennials are more Christian and less denominationally loyal but they're more denominationally loyal if they stay in the, in the church school system. Orthodoxy. I'm going to take my... Um, I'm going to give you my sermon. Is that all right? There are five distinctive messages of the Adventist church, different than any other denomination. The Trinity, are there other denominations that, be, that believe in the Trinity? or the nature of Christ, or... But there are five that are different from everybody else. What are those five? State of the Dead, Sabbath, Sanctuary, Spirit of Prophecy, and nobody gets the last one. Those of you here yesterday, what was the last one? The Remnant Church. That's the fifth one, the Remnant Church. There's no other church that believes that God is preparing a remnant people to finish his work on this planet. All right? So those are the five distinct... Um, that if we lose those, we lose who we are as a denomination. Does that make sense? If we lose those, then, then we're a Baptist church 
you leave those, you, you, you're, out of, you're out of luck. That's right. So, now the, the Sabbath, if we lose the Sabbath. You lose everything. <laughs> you know, Seventh-day Adventist church going to, school, going to church on Sunday. Come on. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. So the Sabbath is staying pretty strong. Our kids still believe that the Sabbath is important. But we ask through Value Genesis every time, tell us about your belief in all 28 fundamental beliefs. Um, do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe in the sanctuary message? Do you believe and all the other 23 beliefs are staying pretty strong? Those and Sabbath is staying strong, but the other four are down in single digits of belief. Single digits believe that Ellen White is a prophet of the church. Single digits believe that there's a remnant church. Single digits believe there's a relevance to the sanctuary to their spiritual growth. Single digits believe in the state of the dead as we believe it. And in some ways, what do kids see every day? They're playing their video games and they shoot somebody, they fall over and they get back up again. Or they watch their movies and they're talking to the spirits that come back and are walking around in the room talking to them, telling them what to do. And so the state of the dead is a big issue. I'm not going to pick on pastors yet. Yet. When's the last time in your local church, other than evangelistic series, you heard a sermon on the relevance of the sanctuary to the member's life, to being an Adventist? Or when's the last time you heard a sermon on the state of the dead? When's the last time you heard a sermon on the remnant church? When's the last time you heard a sermon on Ellen White? There's a three-legged stool, right? We all understand that. Those three legs are church, home, and the school, right? If 30% of our kids are in Adventist education, that's about, we've done that study every year, we have about, some conferences are 35 and some are 25, but across the division it's about 30%. In Adventist education, we hit all 28 fundamental beliefs. We map the curriculum so that those 28 fundamental beliefs are taught age appropriately four times in 12 years. All right? We want to make sure that our kids understand who we are as a church. So we hit the sanctuary four times age appropriately in 12 years. That leaves 70% of our kids are not in Adventist education. And we just established that they're not getting those four in church. Of course, they're getting it home, aren't they? Because we've already lost a couple of generations that understand the relevance of the sanctuary. Our young families, they're not there. They're not there with Ellen White. They're not there with... Um, talking about at home, the state of the dead. They give, they're, they're ones buying them the, the movies and the games. Sabbath school. Are we getting it in Sabbath school? If we're not getting it at home, they're not going to Adventist education, and they're not getting it at church, where are they getting it? They're not getting it. And if they don't get it, and we lose another generation to those four distinctives, we're going to lose the church. That make, that Somehow, we as a people, not, not just the educational system, but we as a church need to be serious about finishing the work and helping our young people to understand the relevance of these doctrines to being a Seventh-day Adventist. All right. That's my, one of my burdens. You'll hear a few more before we're done. So, 
in Value Genesis, we ask students, we give them a list. Your parents, your grandparents, Bible class, weeks of prayer, summer camp. What, is the mo what was the most important thing that helped you develop your religious faith? Bible. We asked about the Bible, and this is, and they, it was just an open, they could check, you know, they could, I think they had to rank the top three. Number one was Adventist education. They said the most important thing that helped me develop my faith out of that whole list was Adventist education. I, I agree with you. I got accosted. Uh, that's a really good description yesterday by someone saying their finger in my chest why aren't you doing more to help our families pay for Advent we're pricing ourselves we got to cut the cost of Adventist education we have to cut the cost so so two things uh, I have lots more slides but I think this these kinds of discussions are probably as important as any other Two things. Number one, um, the cost of evidence education is always going to go up. Always. Just be realistic. Yeah. You know, when I was in college, uh, it was like $3,300 a year to go to Andrews. Well, I could go buy a brand new Chevy for $3,300. Now it's $32,000. What's it cost for a car? It is about the same. So the cost of education has kept up with the cost of inflation, basically. Um, tomorrow we're going to talk a lot about finances. It's majority of what we're going to talk about tomorrow is finances. But the cost of education is always going to go up. Our job is to make sure that there's another line. Man, a blackboard. I can't believe it. So we have a co the cost of education is always going to go up, right? The utilities are going up, the salaries are going up, the cost of food goes up, it's always going to go up. But there's another line. This is the cost line. But there's another line. And I call it the value line. And at this point, from this point this way, where the value is less than the cost, there's no sales. That's, that's marketing 101, right? Where the value is less than the cost, there's no sales. <coughs> All right, yeah. No, no, I, you're, that's a good point. Perceived value. Our job as a church, our job as pastors, and I think it's 100% the pastor's responsibility to do this. 100% the pastor's responsibility. No, I believe that. 100% the pastor's responsibility to take this perceived value line and make sure that it never crosses the cost line. But it's also 100% the principal's job, and it's 100% the parent's job, and it's 100% the teacher's job, and it's 100% your job as members of the church. It's only when we think it's 25% my job and 75% somebody else's job, then I just back off and don't, don't do anything. That's right. So if we take it as 100% our responsibility, then, then it gets done. Okay? I, um, I have a sermon that I give regularly. Talk about a bridge. What is a bridge? A bridge is where you are to where you want to be over something you want to avoid. Right? Is that a general definition of a bridge? Part of the issue is that in Adventist education, we know where our students are. We know that Jesus is a bridge to get them to, to the kingdom, to his feet in, in the kingdom, right? I mean, that's, the, that's the, a picture of Adventist education to me. 
The difficulty is that many parents have redirected. They're using a different bridge to get to a different location. They're no longer, this isn't the, the, the biggest goal in their life is to get their kids in the kingdom. Their biggest goal is to get a, an academic bridge to a great job, to get an academic bridge to a, a great university, to get a, an academic bridge or a, a social bridge to a better life on earth. And they are no longer, so they're actually, if you look down on this, if this is where we are, there are multiple bridges that will get you to multiple locations from where you are. And this is a spiritual bridge, and this is an academic bridge, and this is a social bridge. And this gets you to, um, um, to the elite. This gets you to Jesus. This gets you to, to the Ivy League. Parents are choosing different bridges to get to different locations than what we had when we grew up. I talked to you about Richard, who is the president of, of uh, Wisconsin Synod Lutheran. I was in his office not long ago, and he said, Larry, when I was growing up, when I was four years old, I knew which Lutheran elementary school I would go to, and which Lutheran academy that I would graduate, or Lutheran high school I would uh, uh, graduate from. I knew which Lutheran college I would find my Lutheran wife in, and, and he says, and to be honest, he said, I would expect at that time to hear a sermon every other Sunday from a Lutheran pulpit about Lutheran education. And he says, that's no longer true anymore in the Lutheran church. Well, they're really weird, aren't they? Aren't we the same? No longer is it an expectation for kids to go to Adventist education. I told him, you just take the word Lutheran and I'll put the word Adventist in, it's the same thing. And what I find as, we, as, I, as I go around to different denominations, um, that we're not that different from everybody else. Our issues, cost issues, sustainability, finding leadership. I was telling Jeremy that the, the uh, head of that system saw, said to me last Monday, he said, do you have any, any Adventist teachers left over? Because we need some teachers, and we, we'll hire Adventists. And I said, well, how many teachers do you need? Last Monday, he needed 122 teachers and 88 principals. Last Monday, in June. It's, we're not alone in the struggles that we have. All right, let's see if we can get a few more slides um, in the next eight minutes. So we said 81% said Adventist school is the most important thing that developed their faith. Two, one thing I like to say here, we differentiate about faith. There's two kinds of faith. There's an extrinsic faith in which I go to church because my parents tell me to. I go to church because my parents um, go to church. Uh, I, I have family worship because I'm stuck in the home and mom and dad do it. Um, I believe in God because my parents believe in God. That's an extrinsic faith, right? What we want to build is an intrinsic faith in which that faith is inside and comes out rather than outside and tries to get in. So we differentiate between intrinsic faith and extrinsic faith, and we found out, it's not here, but we found out that Adventist education really, and, and we're finding the new Encounter Bible series is building a lot more intrinsic faith rather than extrinsic faith. Um, so that's important to, to notice. We also know that number of years of education is positively related to commitment to Christ. My relationship is now stronger. Religion is important in my life and commitment to personal Bible study. Um, so I'm going to put these up quickly. We'll talk about them because you'll you'll you can see I don't have to talk about them a lot. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so that you can have it. Um, the longer they're in Adventist education, the more they attend church, regular church attendance. So you can see there that it's four times more likely to attend church. And inactive, the brown part, inactive means leaving. They're headed out the door. Twice as likely to stay in the church if they're uh, graduates from an Adventist academy compared to graduates from public schools. And this is probably public schools, other Christian schools, and home schools. Um, home schools. I believe with all my heart, and Ellen White um, is very clear that the home is the best place for our kids to be, particularly in their younger years, to learn. That the homeschool is the, is the model that we ought to have for our children. I believe that. I support that 100%. My daughter stayed home for a year or two. Um, so I, I believe in that. But many parents can't do that anymore. There are, there are two working parents. They're um, single parents. They don't have the education to do um, homeschooling right. So the next best alternative, and Ellen White says the same thing, if you can't, send, can't keep your kids at home, put them in an Adventist school. Uh, many times, um, homeschool students, not all the time, and there are lots of exceptions to this, but many times homeschool students, once they get outside, they have been given such extrinsic faith and such um, confines on their spirituality that once they get out of that, they leave the church. That's not, that's not a statistical, that's my own personal, almost humble opinion. Okay? They're twice as likely to pay tithe. If we lose the tithing system in the Adventist church, we're going to lose the church. Our whole system is based on tithe. And, um, and so that's an important part. But they're twice as likely to pay tithe if they graduate from Adventist Academy compared to graduating from a public school or other school. Three times more likely to marry an Adventist. Is that an important thing, to marry an Adventist? Absolutely. Um, join the church, that's another one. Um, we looked at, this is lapsed and ex-members, and this is current members. And this is how many years? Uh, this is no Adventist education. Uh, this is Adventist education, no Adventist education. Look at the difference. They are, uh, does make a difference whether they stay in the church. Three times more likely. Interesting chart. From that chart, what is the most important um, segment of Adventist education? This is elementary. They went only to elementary, only to secondary, and only to tertiary. What's the most important? What, what, area helps them grow in their faith the most and stay in the church? The elementary, right? Um, Barna and many other people say that they have already developed their, their moral values and their worldview by the time they're 13. So if we keep them in an elementary school, we'll keep them longer in the system. Um, and it goes down after that. Because we keep, if they don't go to elementary school, how many of them go to academy? If they didn't go to elementary school. If they didn't go to academy, how many of them go to tertiary? 7%. So, three times more likely to stay in the church. I'm going to tell you one more story. Lots of things we could talk about. We could talk about 60% of our pastors in the seminary have no education, Adventist education background. They came into the church as adults. So they went to public school, and now they're a pastor. What do we, where do we send a pastor from seminary? Three church district with a small struggling church school, right? 
That's the typical. That's, that's where they go. What do we hold pastors accountable to? What's their rubric for success? Baptisms and tithe growth. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have three churches. I have this struggling church school that has 12 kids, and it's taking 70% of my combined budget. I can't be successful with the rubric that I'm being held accountable to by the conference office. Um, and so I need to get rid of that small school so that I can be successful and have baptisms and tithe growth. I can do evangelism. That's a mindset that comes, and my kids went, I went to public school, my kids went to public school, and they're doing just fine. Thank you very much. So we have started a new class in the seminary that's a required class for every single pastor on Adventist education. They're required to spend two weeks as an intern in a school now. And these pastors are saying, please give me three churches with a small school. Because I can see that that small school is an evangelistic center for my church. So we're turning the corner. I used to be a pastor basher. Hello, my name's Larry. I'm a pastor basher. But I've, I've learned to understand that if I was in that pastor's position, I'd probably do the same thing. What we need to do is change the rubric for success to, for the pastors. We need to put that, t that school in. Are you, are you visiting the school? Are you involved? Do you have a, a, a relationship, um, a, a working relationship with the principal of the school, with the teachers? Do they see you as their pastor? And we need to go to the school and say, are you involved in your local church? It's a two-way street. And when both of those things happen, we have a strong partnership in ministry, and we have... Um, a lot more um, energy going into the school. My last speech is one I believe in. It's not really related to this, but um, I'm going to shut the door so you can't get out. I'm a fisherman. I love to fish. I'm a fly fisherman. But I've decided over the years... It's a hard decision. It took me months to make this decision, but I finally decided, and I vowed and kept that vow, to never again fish in a swimming pool. Why wouldn't I fish in a swimming pool? There's nothing there to catch, right? I believe spirituality is caught, not taught. I believe spirituality is caught, is infectious, not taught. Religiosity is taught. People ask me all the time, how do we fix our system? And I believe the best way to fix our system is that every teacher, every principal, and every pastor has a personal relationship to Jesus Christ that's infectious, that people want. Yeah, I don't know what you have, but I want it. I want, I want that, that same relationship that you have and if that were to happen, I think we would be overflowed, our schools would be overflowed, and our churches, uh, the front rows would be full. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid we have too many spiritual swimming pools in pulpits and in classrooms. In our job, you're going to hear this Sabbath. I preach Sabbath in the main auditorium, Sabbath afternoon. You're going to hear the same thing. I don't apologize for that. What we need, we need teachers and preachers that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that are infectious for Him. That people want what they have, and they don't have to be taught or preached at. That's what we need as a church. That's right. Yeah, see, that's, that's how you raise this value, because if you're not saying, well... X plus Y equals Z, and the value now has gone up. They want what you have. They're raising the, the perceived value now is, 
I, I would pay anything to get what you have. Cost isn't an issue if they desire that so deeply. Cost isn't the issue. They'll get rid of their boat. They'll get rid of their, um, you know, whatever. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we finish. Father, we, may we today have that relationship that we are infectious for Jesus. May we understand, Father, that every child in our church belongs to us, belongs to you, and belongs to us. It's not their child, it's our child. It's your child. May that be the focus in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.